A big welcome to season four of The Awardist. Um, we are here talking about the Emmys. I can't believe we're talking about the Emmys already. It's right after Memorial Day. I am Henry Goldblatt, Editor-in-Chief of Entertainment Weekly, and I've got two of my friends and colleagues here, Kristen Baldwin, TV critic. Hello, Kristen. Hey, how are you? I am well. I'm happy to be doing this with you. I know. It's such a joy to be back. We are back, and we are joined, of course, by Lynette Rice, editor-at-large at Entertainment Weekly. Hello. This seems like the perfect time to do this right after the end of Game of Thrones, don't you think? I totally agree. We will definitely be talking about Game of Thrones throughout this season of The Awardist. You had Shayna Crotchmell and Pia Sinha Roy take you through the Oscar seasons, and now we've got some new hosts taking you through the Emmys, and I'm very, very excited to um, be here and helming that. Why are we doing this so early, Lynette? Les- it's- Emmys are not till September. Why are we doing this now? It's voting time, man. Uh, June 10th is when the nomination round voting begins. This is when everybody goes into, creates a massive ballot of who they think uh, should be considered for each uh, category. And then that goes on until June 24th, the nomination round voting ends. And then, of course, the nominations are announced July 16th. We're going to be taking you through last year's nominees, last year's winners, a little bit of trivia along the way, and also, of course, taking you through the people we think should be nominated this year for Emmys who have put in stellar, stellar, stellar performances. Hopefully you'll get a couple laughs and maybe a couple of binge ideas out of this podcast. Um, That's our aim anyway. And let's kick it off. Um, This episode, we're going to be focusing on lead actress in a comedy and supporting actress in a comedy. And later on, I'm super, super excited because I had a conversation with Anna Klumsky, who plays Amy Bruckheimer on Veep and has just turned in a terrific performance this season. So we're going to be talking a lot about her as this race continues. But Kristen, why don't we start with lead actress in a comedy and why don't you take us through um, some of the nominees from last year and who and remind us who won. Sure. So the nominees last year uh, were Issa Rae from Insecure, Lily Tomlin from Grace and Frankie, Tracy Ellis Ross uh, from Blackish, Allison Janney, as always, from Mom, Pamela Adlon from Better Things, and Rachel Brosnahan from Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. And the winner was Rachel Brosnahan from Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. So uh, she'll definitely be in the mix again, I think, this year. That was a huge surprise for me that she won. I wasn't, if looking, I, as I'm reminded by this category from last year, looking at it, I would not have selected her. It is interesting because, you know, Lily Tomlin's beloved, uh, Tracy Ellis Ross was on a roll with Blackish. Obviously, the Emmys love Allison Janney, but I think, you know, Amazon does a lot of things well, and Marvelous Mrs. Maisel is a good show, but they also do a very good awards campaign. Yeah. So, Lynette, this category is going to be really shaken up this year because somebody who wasn't eligible last year is suddenly eligible. Who is that? Shaken up. That sounds so sad. That basically means it's going back to normal. Because <laughs> Julia Louis-Dreyfus is now eligible because she wasn't, because they didn't have Veep episodes last year. But dang it, they have them this year. So I, should we start celebrating now for Julia, I guess? Do you uh, think? Do you think? Well, she has 11 nominations in this category and seven wins. Um, she's won, of course, for Veep and for Old Christine. She ties Alan Alda Ted Danson and Kelsey Grammer with the most Emmy nominations ever at 11, which is pretty cool as well. So yeah, I think it's safe to say she'll be adding a 12th one to that. Um, Whether she wins or not, we'll talk about a little later in the episode because she's got some really tough competition this year. It's nice, actually, when there's so many good options. This is a hard one to narrow down. It really is. Kristen, take us through a little bit of the trivia in this category. Like, um, who's won this category a bunch? Um, What has this category seen a lot of diverse winners? You know, no, <laughs> because <laughs> the, last fact, no. Af- the last African-American actress to win in this category was Isabel Sanford in 1981. And Wheezy the last- Jefferson. I mean, Wheezy. And the last 
woman of color to win was America Ferreira in 2007. So no, uh, it's definitely been more diverse in terms of the nominations, certainly uh, over the years. But, uh, you know, with the addition of Tracy Ellis Ross and Issa Rae and from a victory standpoint, no, it's uh, still not a super diverse pool. All right. I want to quiz you guys on a little trivia in this category. First up, which Friends alum has the most nominations for lead actress? It's uh, Jennifer Aniston. I want to say Lisa Kudrow. Jennifer Aniston. Lynette, you are correct. She had three nominations. Lisa had two. And Courtney Cox was famously sub- snubbed in this category with no nominations, which is so stunning. sad. Just not acceptable. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Second trivia question. Rank these women from most nominated in this category to the least. Amy Poehler, Annie Potts, Fran Drescher, and Callista Flockhart. Annie, Callista, Fran, Amy. I'm going to say Potts, Drescher, Flockhart, Polar. Kristen, you're exactly wrong. <laughs> oh, you got them all wrong. And, and that, you did not do Amazing. much better. Um, Annie Potts has only received one nomination in this category what? for Love and War I, in 1994. I thought it was one of those trick questions again he's doing, you know? Fran Drescher received two for The Nanny. Callista Flockhart, of course, received three for Allie McBeal. And Amy Poehler received six for Parks and Recreation. Dang. You know what? I think it's because we're always so used to being disappointed by the Emmys that we assume they make the wrong decision. And so, yeah, that's my excuse for why I did so poorly on that quiz. All right. So speaking of people who have um, the Emmys getting things wrong, Lynette, do you have a snub that still hurts? I have several. Uh, in this category? Several, several, several. I mean, we already mentioned one, Courtney Cox. That I feel like that hurts. That hurts. Uh, although it's funny, it feels like when we do this, uh, we kind of, it feels like we start to have the attitude that if you've been on TV long enough, eventually you deserve some kind of an Emmy. Um, and so it feels like this kind of fuels this um, snub list, but whatever, I'm going to say that. Uh, Felicia Rashad for Cosby, she was nominated three times. She didn't win one. Uh, poor Lena Dunham, she was nominated eight times for acting, directing, writing, and producing. Girls didn't get, didn't get anything. Uh, Meredith Baxter Burney. I really went back. Nominated three times, yet to win. Katie Segal for Married with Children. And, I don't know, you may snub your nose here. Uh, Sybil Shepard was uh, not given one for Mood Lainey. So that's an interesting uh, conversation, though. Do you think these Emmys should basically be Lifetime Achievement Awards for people who've been on TV for so long? Like, I look at, there are a few people on that list, and I'm like, nah, they probably not necessarily deserved an Emmy. Uh, <laughs> Lifetime achievement. Yeah, see, that's the problem. I guess it, it's more of when we look at these this list and all those women that I just listed, as far as I'm concerned, are bona fide television stars. Sybil Shepard among them, believe it or not. Uh, and so I guess when you look at them now, it just seems so extraordinary that they didn't at least get one measly one for considering how long they've been on television. But again, like, is it because do they deserve one because they've been on television a long time or do... You know, because there are plenty of people who have been on television a long time who maybe don't necessarily turn in Emmy-worthy performances. Well, okay, so maybe, I mean, thinking back to Meredith Baxter Bernie's, I mean, you didn't really tune in to watch her. You tuned in to watch Michael J., right? And Mallory. But Jane Kaczmarek, that's one I feel like most hurts. I mean, I feel like she was, you definitely tuned in to see her. Oh, for sure. All right, Kristen, what is the Emmy that you wish they handed out? So remember, this is my dream. 
And this is a category that maybe isn't practical, but uh, one that I wish they would hand out in this category. So outstanding performance by an actress in a broadcast TV sitcom we knew would be canceled. So there are a lot of talented actresses out there and not enough good roles. So it's not uncommon to see funny women in less than funny network shows. Um, But just because their shows are sort of doomed from the get go, shouldn't we recognize their valiant efforts to elevate middling material? So a couple uh, potential nominees from this year, Sarayu Blue from NBC's I Feel Bad. Um, She was really appealing as a woman juggling her career and her marriage and kids and feeling like she was failing at all of it. But the show was just kind of a bit of a mess. But I think since we all knew that show was not long for this world, like that would have been a good nominee. Another one from this year, Mary McCormick on ABC's The Kids Are All Right. She was the funniest part of the show about a family with eight boys growing up in the 1970s, but it got the ax even though it did, you know, fairly decent middling ratings. Uh, so I do think that, you know, she could have been nominated. She was quite good in that. Other nominees from the past could include Kristen Ritter from ABC's Don't Trust the Bee in Apartment 23. We all knew that show was going to get the axe. So I, I do think that this is a category that could exist. And yes, I know it would make the show longer, uh, the Emmy ceremony longer, but I'm just saying. Props to you, Kristen. Um, do you get to pick a winner? Do Lynette and I get to pick a winner from your category? You pick a winner either from the ones that I've... Uh, nominated, or if you can think of another example of somebody who really would have no, deserved. I'll pick from her list. Yeah, I will too. I go with Mary McCormick. I do too. Yeah. yeah. I like that Mary McCormick. Okay, now it's the part of the podcast where we draft potential nominees this year. We're going to come up with, um, we're each going to pick two. We're going to come up with six total of people that we think are going to be nominated for the Best Actress category for the Emmys. And Lynette, why don't you have first draft? I'm going to go with the easy one, uh, because I might as well get it out of the way. Allison Janney, you know she's going to be there nominated. Uh, I actually think she has another chance of winning. I think if anyone can beat Julia Dreyfus, it's her. Okay, Kristen, your turn. Uh, Well, I'm going to pick one uh, that I think is also a lock. I don't think she'll win because I think Julia Louis-Dreyfus will win, um, is Phoebe Waller-Bridge from Fleabag. I mean, she's so incredibly uh, hot right now, and the final season of Fleabag is incredible. She stars in it, wrote it, created it. uh, So I think she's a a shoe-in. Are we picking people that we're decide that's anyone but Julia Louis Dreyfus? Is that this game? <laughs> no, just go ahead and pick Julia Louis Dreyfus, Henry. <laughs> yeah, we no, might as well you just... know, I wasn't going to because I want actually want to recognize somebody who is basically turning in the performance of her career, and that's Christina Applegate, who's on the Netflix show Dead to Me. I always thought that she was a fine actress and like totally serviceable in the roles that she's in. She is showing such new depth and talent and. I don't even know. I, she's she's like one of one of the best actresses out there, and like and putting in the performance of a lifetime on the show. Um, I highly recommend binging it. It's called Dead to Me. It's about two women who meet in a grief support group. I know Kristen's a huge fan too. I strongly, strongly, strongly think Christina Applegate's going to get an Emmy nomination, and she deserves it. You know, she hasn't been nominated for a lead actress in a decade. It's time. I'm actually going to pick Jane uh, Fonda. Uh, I have spent the last year uh, binging the heck out of Grace and Frankie, and while I know Lily Tomlin has received the nominations before all the uh, the adulation, I think Jane is extraordinary on the show. I, one of the things that makes her story extraordinary, and I'm sorry if this sounds so superficial, is 
is she's just mesmerizing to watch. The woman is perfect. Uh, and I know half of my binging is spent just marveling at how incredible she looks, but that's part of the enjoyment of Grace and Frankie. But I think she's a comedic genius on this show. Uh, I love how dramatic the show can be as well. I, she, I feel sorry for her. I laugh at her. I laugh with her. She deserves it, man. That is a good case. Nobody's going to do it, so I'll just do it. Julia Louis-Dreyfus is going to be uh, nominated. It's her you know, final season of Veep. The woman beat cancer. She turned in a killer performance, like amazing, even funnier than you know past seasons. And she's honestly maybe the funny, funniest woman alive at the moment. So uh, I think she's certainly going to be nominated and almost certainly going to win. All right, I got to do this. I'm going with Kristen Bell from The Good Place. That show... It just keeps getting better and better and better. She's the anchor of it. Her performance is so effortless that you for, almost forget that she's acting. Like, she just sinks into that character of Eleanor, the quote-unquote trash bag from Arizona, like, so well. The show is almost a different show every episode because they just keep flipping the script and she just rolls with it. So I'm going to go with Kristen Bell. So that leaves as our nominees, Allison Janney, Julia Louis-Dreyfus, Phoebe Waller-Bridge, Jane Fonda, Kristen Bell, and Christina Applegate. Now, none of us picked Rachel Brosnahan, who won last year. If I'm picking with my heart, she gives a good performance, but um, I just was more moved by some of these others. Okay, this is the part of the show where we plead for a long shot Emmy nominee. I am pleading for Helene York from The Other Two, this show on Comedy Central. She played um, the older sister of a Justin Bieber-like pop sensation. This show is one of the funniest things I've seen all year. Um, I imagine it's going to be on a live top 10 list at the end of the year. She's just extraordinary. is a huge mess. I would love to see her sneak in this category. It's a very, very tough category to sneak into, so I'm not sure she will, but I'd like to recognize her performance because she's extraordinary. I don't want you to tease me for this. <laughs> oh, jeez. Here we go. And you may go down that rabbit hole of, is this going to be a lifetime achievement thing, but I want to make a case for Kaylee Kuko for a Big Bang Theory. Um, uh, I see Kristen. She's like, oh, okay, okay, I'll, I'll listen. I'll listen. Uh, I think it's a difficult task to have to, for one, act across Jim Parsons, who rules the roost. And he's the reason why the, the comedy did not go on, because he decided he wanted to quit. Beyond him, there's all these other nerds. The show began as a show about nerds. And so there is so much white, hot attention on what they did. And so to come in and play the girl next door to that, to still bring attention to herself as well as to be part of that true ensemble... To me, that's a huge feat. And we, and because of what she's done, we tuned into her and, of course, her relationship with Johnny Galecki just as we tuned in for the other guys. And so I don't feel like we should underestimate her contribution to this comedy. So I think just in this last season, it would be nice to see that she got a nomination. I don't think she has to win, but to get the nod... That would be legit. Kristen, who is your let me plead for? I, I don't want to say she's a long shot because she has been nominated twice before, but I do worry that with so much good talent in this category this year that she might get pushed out. Um, Pamela Adlon, who's been nominated twice uh, for Better Things, which is the show uh, she uh, 
created stars and directs. She's incredible. And this past season, season three, she's so good. She's a mother uh, of three kids. She's a working actress who's just, you know, trying to raise her kids and do her job. And like, it's a hard show to explain because it's just, you know, it's not a working mom sitcom or anything. It's really just a very real uh look at what it what it means to be a working mother in an actress a working actress she like plays uh she gets a job as a uh in in a big budget zombie movie but she spends one of the days on set like lying under a pile of bodies in the heat like and that's her job because like not all acting is glamorous so I think she's been really, really good, and I, I just hope she doesn't get pushed out of this category by some of the other talent. Well, that's going to do it for our roundup of Best Actress in a Comedy. Up next, we're going to be talking about Supporting Actress in a Comedy, so stay tuned. Welcome back to The Awardist. I'm Henry. I'm here with Kristen and Lynette, and we are going to be tackling supporting actress in a comedy. Lynette, why don't you start by taking us through some of the previous nominees and winners? Previous winners. In 2013, the uh, wonderful Merritt Weaver and her non-speech when she won as Zoe on Nurse Jackie. You remember that? that yeah, was a, tell everybody about that. That was crazy. Well, I don't think there's anything to tell because she didn't say anything. <laughs> didn't she just get up there and say, I mean, do you remember Kristen? I think she was just like, thanks. And then walked away. She was in that black and white dress, right? Was that that year? She was so blo- – I remember her outfit. It, it was it was great. She just – it's nice to see them completely flummoxed yeah. when they win. And so she obviously didn't expect to win. Uh, anyway, uh, from two, uh, 2014 and 2015, the great Allison Janney won. And then in 2016 and 2017, the wonderful Kate McKinnon. And so, Kristen, who was nominated last year and who won? It was a packed category last year. We had Megan Mullally from Will and Grace, Laurie Metcalf from Roseanne, may it not rest in peace, uh, Kate McKinnon from Saturday Night Live, Leslie Jones from Saturday Night Live, Betty Gilpin from Glow, A.D. Bryant from Saturday Night Live, Zazie Beetz from Atlanta, and Alex Bornstein from the marvelous Mrs. Maisel and Alex Bornstein won and she did not wear a bra, which she announced to everyone. And it was a great entrance and a really fun speech. So this is a good category for lively uh, sort of happenings on the Emmy stage. I mean, the Emmys love Megan Mullally. She would have been one of my picks. She had seven nominations and two wins in this category. Kate McKinnon, as you mentioned, had won the previous two years. I thought she was a lock. So it was really interesting. Lynette, are there snubs in this category that still hurt? Another bunch. Another bunch. Kim Cattrall was nominated five times for Sex and City, but she never scored. Isn't that amazing? That's crazy. That is crazy. Same thing for her girl, Kristen Davis. She was nominated once, but never won. Uh, Jane Krakowski was nominated four times for 30 Rock and once for Kimmy Schmidt, and she hasn't won her Golden Girl yet. That's crazy. That one hurts the most to me. It really does. I think she is so talented. Yeah. She's so funny. And she really, like, makes these unlikable characters so uh, likable that, yeah, she really should have won at least for 30 Rock. I was doing some research um, on Jane Krakowski as well, because I was going to quiz you on that, and you spoiled me, which is totally great. But um, she was never nominated for Ally McBeal, which kills me as well. I feel like... SNL players are getting nominated regularly now. Last year, we saw three of them. I feel like that wasn't always the case. I think that's true. I think, you know, the more the women, especially that era with Tina Fey and on with the female 
cast members getting more and more popular and becoming stars in their own right. I think that did help get some more Emmy attention um, for for the show and for them. So, yeah, it's crazy that Kristen Wiig, who honestly is arguably the biggest star of them all now, next to Tina Fey, has not, has not, never won. There's also one more big snub, Lynette. Julia Duffy has been nominated seven times. She's the most nominated actress in this category without ever winning. You know, I only appreciate that now because we did that New Heart reunion. Yes, we reunited the cast back, of New Heart. And so I went back and watched episodes and she was really good. All right, Kristen, what is the Emmy you wish they handed out in this category? All right. So, Henry, I feel like you're going to feel you're going to really uh, be on board with this category. Um, the Emmy I wish that they handed out in the supporting category is Outstanding one-off performance by an 80s sitcom icon. So potential nominees this season include Kim Fields, a.k.a. Tootie from The Facts of Life, who makes a beautiful but brief appearance in Cobra Kai Season 2 as, quote, Aisha's mom. Um, And then Mary Jo Catlett, a.k.a. Pearl from Different Strokes. She played Rosie on a great episode of Better Things. Uh, And then, but really... Honestly, this is all um, a way I would really like to award this retroactively to one Miss Marla Gibbs, the legend from the Jeffersons and 227. And I'd be going back a few years. In 2017, she popped up on an episode of This Is Us. And Henry, I think you probably remember this. I was all excited, like, yay, Marla Gibbs is going to get a multi-episode arc. But no. It turns out she had like two lines in one episode and her character didn't even get a name. She was just ID'd as George's dining companion. Kristen, I think I texted you when that happened. Like, I think my phone was like literally on fire texting you. You did. You absolutely did. So uh, this just got me thinking. And I know that this is not us is not a comedy, but I just feel like there really should be a category for you know, uh, an 80s sitcom icon showing up and making you scream at your TV like, oh, my God, it's Marla Gibbs. So Emmy, Emmys, I really think you need to uh, give us justice for Marla. Kristen, can I add one more nominee to that category? Please do. Telma Hopkins, who <gasps> was on Give Me a Break. Of course. And she's on Dead to Me. She pops up in oh a couple God, episodes. How did, I, how did I forget that? Yes, exactly. She's not one-off because she's got, but she's definitely like, she's just such a great, when you see her, and by the way, she sings in Dead to Me and she's fantastic. She's fantastic. I just, yeah, you. it gives you such a rush of joy when you see these stars from the past. So this is a category that I feel like could get a groundswell of support. You know, you mentioned Marla Gibbs, who was on 227 with Jackie Harry. And Jackie Harry was the last African-American woman to win a supporting actress in a comedy Emmy in 1987. Honestly, Henry, all roads lead to 227. <laughs> I think so. We're going to have a spinoff podcast about 227. And it'll last one episode. <laughs> <laughs> it'll last 227 episodes. Yes, thank, you, thank you. Thank you. Thank <laughs> you. All right. I want to quiz you guys on a little trivia. Jean Smart won an Emmy in the supporting actress category for what role? Designing women. Um, was it, was it um, whatever she played on Frasier? You're both wrong. Um, she won it in 2008 for playing Regina on Samantha Who. Last trivia question. Does Marion Ross have a Best Supporting Emmy for her work on Happy Days? She does. Yeah, I'm going to say she does because I feel like my gut says she doesn't. And then whenever I go with my gut, I'm wrong. You should have gone with your gut. She does not. Henry, I don't like these trick questions. <laughs> Why is the trick question? I'm it was so a yes or no answer. This. this is the part of the show where we talk about who we'd like to see nominated this year in the Best Supporting Actress for a Comedy category. Kristen, you went first last time. So, Lynette, you get first choice this time. I'm going to say Aidy Bryant from SNL. Uh, God, she's just been getting just so dang good. 
So dang good. And, of course, her turn as Sarah Sanders has really taken her over the top. Uh, She's now appointment viewing for me. My first pick is going to be the woman I'm talking to later in this episode, Anna Klumski, who played Amy on Veep. Uh, Veep just wrapped up its final season and arguably its best season. I actually went back and binged the entire series as I was watching this final season, and I'm so glad I did because there's so many inside jokes and callbacks that you truly forget if you haven't watched it recently because the show's been on the air for so long. This season, I want to be careful with spoilers, um, Anna's character, Amy, sort of descends into this, like, horrible political creature and, like, loses all sense of morality. And she just occupies this role so in such an amazing, amazing way and sinks into it lo- in such a lovely way. I'm so excited to be talking to her. And she is my first pick for Best Supporting Actress in a Comedy. Kristen, you're up. Okay, I'm going to go with uh, another Fleabag star, Olivia Coleman, who plays Godmother on Fleabag. And she's incredibly funny like she's so passive aggressive and like brutal the things that she says she's very undermining and I do think that after her Oscar win for the favorite you know a lot of people you know certainly overseas she's a huge star uh, but here I think a lot of people are discovering how brilliant she is and uh, you know the voters will probably just want to see another speech from her because her acceptance speech was so delightful Uh, so I'm gonna I'm gonna go with Olivia Coleman. I'm gonna have my second pick also be my plea because I fear uh, although I'm kind I'm well I'm not because I'm fear because I'm not totally confident that she's going to get a nomination and you may cringe again but it's another big bank theory person it's Maya Bialik I see you laughing but here's the thing she has been nominated before but this last season in particular was so great because it really came down to between her character and Jim Parsons' character, their quest for the Nobel Prize. And the finale in particular, she really, she, she takes a, a dark, dramatic turn with Jim, her husband, because he's being a real butt, and she calls him out on it uh, <laughs> when they're on their, when they're in, uh, when they're off to get their Nobel, and, and, and all the friends are threatening to go back home. And so it, it, was, it was such a great moment. Uh, I mean, I want it for her. I am going to go with Betty Gilpin from Glow. It's so funny because Glow feels like it aired a year ago and it actually did air a year ago, but it's only now eligible for um, the Emmys this year, the second season. It was, there was an episode with her character, Liberty Bell and the wrestler Welfare Queen. It's episode four of season two. It's one of the best episodes of TV I've seen in about five or six years. Um, it's just extraordinary. Easy to write off Betty Gilpin's character because she's so, like, she's like this sunny sunny blonde like stereotype and she's so infuses so much depth into the character i think in lesser hands it wouldn't be as good and she just uh, she elevates the entire show she's my favorite thing on the show so betty gilpin go get your emmy please yes and i hope i hope so too i think she was so good she was nominated uh you know last time she was eligible she was nominated but i really think season two was her season um so i second that um I'm going to choose uh, Marin Hinkle, actually, from Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. Um, she's so funny on the show. She plays Midge's mom. And this season, she has this whole storyline where she abruptly, and this is like, deal with it, people. The show's been off the air for quite a while, so spoiler alert. Um, her character makes this sort of unexpected trip to France and t- decides to rebuild her life there because she doesn't feel appreciated at home. And it's a type of character that could be very, very annoying, you know, this sort of uh, prim and proper uptight mother, but uh, she in her hands 
there's a lot of nuance and emotion there. And she's so funny as the straight woman to uh, Tony Shalhoub's character, Abe. So I really hope she gets it. Henry, I feel like this is a category we're going to have to consider seven because one that we didn't mention, and I, I feel like we are varying into who we think will get nominated, but I think that Rita Moreno for One Day at a Time is going to get a nomination. I don't necessarily believe all the voters will have seen that show, but there's been so much press about the cancellation of that show, and and since Rita is so much the face of it, I feel pretty confident she's going to get a nomination. That's so funny. I agree that we need seven nominees in this category, but I was going to go with Lori Metcalf on The Connors. Did you both watch the the entire season? Mm -mm. No. Boil it, but her character in the very last episode sort of finally deals with Roseanne's death. And such a and like the scene was basically made to get an Emmy nomination. And she's she's extraordinary as Laurie Metcalf is just extraordinary in everything that she does. I think she's going to sneak in there as well. But our choices so far are Anna Klumsky, Betty Gilpin, Marin Hinkle, Olivia Coleman, A.D. Bryant and Mayim Bialik with a asterisk for Rita Moreno and... Lori Metcalf. Do you have an asterisk, Kristen? My plead is uh, Sarah Goldberg as Sally on Barry. Um, So, you know, she is so funny. She plays Barry's girlfriend slash this very actressy actress and uh, who's very self-involved, but um, also, you know, really earnest. But season two, they deepened her character a lot uh, as Sally got a taste of success as an actor, but she was simultaneously starting to confront an abusive relationship from her past and deciding, you know, how does she tell that truth as an artist? And uh, she gives this incredible monologue in the penultimate episode that is both funny and full of anger and, and relatable and, you know, just really about all the pressure she feels about telling her story as a woman who was a victim of domestic violence, but then does she have to be the face of all women? Like, do people really want to hear this story? Does she really want to tell it? And she was also subtly sort of sneaking in insults at Barry and his terrible acting in the course of this monologue. So she's just so great. I don't, I think it would be a real long shot, but I hope that, uh, that voters give her a chance. When she finds out that Barry got a reading for a film. Just because he's tall. Because he's tall. Oh, that episode was so good. <laughs> oh my God, so good. She's She really, this is a character that I was worried in season two that there wouldn't be enough for her to do, but she really almost became the most interesting character yeah. in season two. That's a good one. All right, you guys, guys may groan at my let me plead for her, but I'm going to plead for her anyway. Megan Mullally on Will and Grace is so ridiculously good. You forget how good she is because the show has been on forever and she's Mm -hmm. been in that character forever. But every single episode, I laugh out loud at whatever she says. And the, the voice, the hair, the mannerisms, like just everything. Like she imbues that character with such humor and it never fails to crack me up. I'd love to see her squeak into this category. She had a good lesbian turn this season. She did. She really did. It's funny when the show's on a long time, uh, you know, Modern Family is an example. You start sort of taking for granted how funny certain performers are. Like I think Ty Burrell, you know, is consistently hilarious on Modern Family. But you're like, oh yeah, 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 I know what he does, you know. And so I think that's the same with Megan Mullally and it's hard because uh, there are so many talented women in this category, but, you know, she's still doing great work, too. I mean, this category is totally an embarrassment of riches. Like, we could pick another six or eight women who are as deserving as the one we chose. It's going to be an exciting group. Up next, stay tuned for my conversation with Anna Klumsky from Veep. It was a great talk, and look forward to sharing it with you.
it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Hello and welcome back to The Awardist. I'm Henry Goldblatt, editor of Entertainment Weekly, and I'm thrilled to have one of my favorite actresses um, on TV with us, joining us today, Anna Klinsky, who plays Amy Bruckheimer on Veep. Anna, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. As we all know, Veep just ended its very celebrated run, and I want to talk to you a lot about this past season, which was just terrific, and a little bit about sort of the history of playing Amy. So you had a fair amount of hiatus in between season six and season seven, and I was wondering how easy or difficult it was to slip back into the role of Amy. Oh, by then, it was pretty easy to get back into Amy. I By that many times, playing Amy for five months and then being off and then playing her again and being off. I, you know, we'd done that uh, kind of cycle enough times that I think it was in my muscle memory and, and that was very helpful. And yeah, I, I felt I, that that one didn't worry me too much after the long hiatus. I think there were some other hiatuses where we did longer time lapses and then you really have to do the thought of like, okay, where is she now and what's she up to and how has she changed? But, but with, with this one, it, it was like pretty much, it was like two months after um, we left her the last time and it felt very organic to, to where she was already headed. And the story really led me in the right direction there. So yeah, I, I kind of just dove right back in. I loved it so much. I loved being able to, really kind. I kept on calling it her Shakti moment. I think that's the the Hindu god who like destroys the world (laughs) in order to like rebuild it. (laughs) First of all, the, the, the delicious thing about this season for me was that I got to really be a part of the collaborative process in, in building um, Amy's arc. Dave and and our writers really sort of kind of forged her, her arc together. And it was a an absolutely gratifying experience. And so, yeah, by the time we were doing any kind of huge turns or finding, you know, finding anything um, new with her, by then it was like we were really just fine tuning the earning of it, which is, you know, number one important to me. And as opposed to kind of like me having to catch up and be like, whoa, wait, what? You know, like I was very aware the whole time playing the season of where she was sort of going to, um, you know, explore and, 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 and end up. And, and if I ever felt like I didn't know, I, I really felt like the door was open for me to ask so that I was making sure I was earning every moment. What I really admired about your performance is almost the physical transformation that you gave Amy, who like spent six seasons sort of in a constant state of being hunched over. And all of a sudden, um, all of a sudden when she goes, undergoes this transformation, it's, she undergoes something physically as well. And like the body language is changing. And I was wondering how much thought you put into that while you were performing. I I did. I put a lot of thought into it, but I but almost reactively <laughs> because it really did start to like just raise a whole bunch of new questions about you know gender politics really and you know um, in, in in its truest sense because that I felt was really what was going on with her her choice to 
to really hone in on kind of all the stuff that she always thought was beneath her in the past and maybe it was beyond her in the past. I think she never thought of herself as peeling or anything more than maybe like a brain and, and, and a, a, a job position. And so when she realizes in the midst of, of this horrific campaign that the key to, to victory albeit a very ugly victory, but the key, the, her, her surest key to victory was to play on the basest instincts of humanity. <laughs> I felt like, like that, like the, when we, when we did the first kind of that CNN, um, you know, talking head thing where she, where she really does kind of do the quote unquote makeover. I imagine that she was sitting in the CNN room getting the makeup and hair done. And they're like, well, what do you want to do? And for the first time in her life, she goes, um, I want to look sexy because not because she wants to some, right. But because she knows that that's going to be her weapon. She, it's a, it's a weapon she's never tried before. It's a weapon that she's never um, been comfortable with. And so it's like, it's her, it's her moment of, you know, if you do what you've always done, you'll get what you've always gotten, right? So she's trying something different. And I think that what's what's so funny about it, and this is what I meant by, like, reactively, it raised a lot of questions, is, like, you can, she can be conscious of it the whole time, that, like, that's what she's doing. Oh, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to dress really, you know, like a floozy so that, you know, like like we say, the basest, uh, you know, instincts of, of these voters will will somehow be charged. However, as you go about your day doing that, you get a different reaction from people throughout the day. You get, you know, it's, it's very much that scene with Dan, right, where, like, people treat you differently based on how you're dressing. And, you know, I, I remember when I was younger, and I'm, I'm sorry, this is very loquacious, I'm, but, like, I remember going on a on an audition once where I was playing somebody goth. And so I, of course, was dressed for the role and walked from my apartment through the subway to this audition dressed as this person. And I noticed that people behaved differently in the way that they, you know, just kind of like even physically interacted with me as you're walking along the streets and in the subway. And it taught me a lot about like maybe why people choose to dress that way you know maybe they're so you know in this case the character was so sensitive that she that she put on this big armor and dressing in all black and all this makeup and stuff was it was her armor so like it was a really similar experience doing this what we called new amy because it was like she made this choice to dress this way which isn't organic to herself or anything she's known but as you're walking through the set and as you're walking around you see, you know, people have different reactions to you. And there is, she, I think she, she was absolutely intoxicated by that sort of new basic instinct power that she all of a sudden like was wielding and didn't even know she had. So like what I say is like, I think by the end, she kind of was believing her own hype <laughs> in a way. Do you have a favorite scene from season seven that you enjoyed filming the most? I did love doing that interview that was super fun I loved I loved the post-abortion scene with Dan that was reason my last scene together as like that arc as like Dan and Amy and we knew it like when we played it we were like oh here we are this is it and it was surprisingly tender it was it was 
surprisingly, there were, there were so many places in there that we kind of didn't, we always suspected existed for Dan and Amy, but we never really got to um, explore. And it was sort of quietly thrilling to finally understand their relationship through that scene. And, and then I, I, I adored, I adored that last scene with Julia when I'm on my knees um, in Amy's redemption uh, in the finale, like I just, that was a thrilling one to play as an actor and as a fellow actor with Julia and with Gary Cole, who plays Kent. It was just, it felt like good old fashioned scene playing. <laughs> it was awesome. <laughs> Your character is now one of the few, very few who's had an abortion on television. I was wondering how you approached the scene and what it was like to film that those scenes. We knew from the get-go that this was something we had to do. Um, it was organic to her. It was something that a, a character like her would absolutely wrestle with. And we just were like, we have to do this. Come on. Like, this, you know, like, come on. You're right. We, it is. We are. I, I am one of the few now who've, who've told that story on screen. And um, and that's it's sort of crazy. And, and, and look at the misunderstandings we're having culturally and as a country as a result of not telling the story um, more truthfully and more um, honestly and openly. I feel really privileged and also satisfied that, that we in this day and age have to be one of the few. Not because that story sh- is, is like a fun one, <laughs> you know, not because, you know, every every character should be doing this on on camera, right? Like, it is very profound and it's very deep and it's very private. However, it, it always feels surprising that this is, um, that it's still a modern concept to be doing that um, and telling that because it's so much a part of many women's that said, doing it, um, I, yeah, I felt super proud, and I also it it taught me an enormous amount. And I know that there's still so much more to understand. Um, like little old me, I'm 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 just an actor, you know, doing my craft in in this scene. But so that that hardly speaks for for you know everybody. There, there's no way I can understand the plight of every of every female who's gone through this. But I did feel like I. I arrived at a good understanding of Amy's plight, and that was my goal. We kept on saying, like, it's important to us. You know, we had different drafts where, like, we were making even more political statements about, like, you know, kind of the grander reach of of this topic, um, which were great lines, great things, you know, that we played with. But ultimately, it had to stay it had to stay true to her individual experience. I think one of the widest misunderstandings about this topic is thinking that there's a type, that there's a type of person, there's a type of woman, there's a type of couple that goes through this and that somehow they can be picked out in a crowd and they can be legislated and and they can be put in a box and that's how the government or, you know, religious institutions or whatever will understand them. The The important thing to understand about it is that it is such an individual choice. No one gets an abortion for the same reason. We are all made up of so many factors in our lives, and all of our choices are informed by those factors. So to somehow try to encompass every woman's experience through Amy, I, you know, we, but we all felt would be a disservice ultimately to this topic. The most important thing to do was to treat it as 
something individual and as something important and not as a joke. It is a comedy. We make some really um, ribald comments and, you know, we are still very veepy about it. But at the same time, I think it's been resonating with a lot of people because we really did treat it respectfully, uh, you know, and, and, and respectful to her journey she's she will think about it the rest of her life even if she's got you know amy brookheimer is a giant defense mechanism on two legs like that's what she is and so you know when she's making all of her kind of wry jokes about it that's that's the way she copes but deep down like you know we watched it for two episodes of her go back and forth and back and forth um and just playing every angle and trying to strategize this very unstrategizable um, moment in her life. And so it's the deepest we'll, we'll ever see her. Um, and, and quite literally that, that, <laughs> that makes sense <laughs> because physically it's also the deepest you're going to get. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, it's, it's, you know, I don't know. I feel privileged. And I know I talked forever about that, but, um, but I could. Speaking of the rest of Amy's life, um, what did you think of the ending and where she ended and how she ended up? I was really happy and pleased. You know, we didn't like end up punishing her in any way. I felt, unless we consider, you know, a marriage uh, uh, with ground, you know, with uh, raising greyhounds, um, <laughs> which <laughs> uh, with Bill Erickson somehow punishment. But but for her, I this is what you know when we filmed it. Pete Hike, one of our um, producers and writers came up to me and he looked at me like kind of beaming and I was beaming too. And we were like, Hey, she figured it out for herself. Didn't she? <laughs> like we actually like this, you know, she, she figured it out. Like Dan was kind of, you know, her idea of what she wanted. And, and, um, and it turned out that she was going to get what she wanted in, uh, in power coupled them with, with Bill Erickson. And she doesn't necessarily look happy. She could possibly be on several medications at once. Who knows? But ultimately, I think she's, I'm satisfied as, a, as an Amy advocate. I'm satisfied with where she ended up. <laughs> Anna, you were just terrific in the role and incredibly talented. And I hope that I hope there, there is lots of Emmy gold in your future. And thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. Going to do it for the first episode of season four of The Awardist. If you like what you hear, give us a rating or subscribe at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, Radio.com, or wherever podcasts are spotted. If you don't like it and just want to talk TV with us, that's fine too. You can tweet us at, at Lynette Rice, at Kristen Baldwin, or at Henry Goldblatt. Have a great week.